her heart this morning. Woo! It was a great, great worship. Thank you, Lord, for that. If you're sitting there this morning without a Bible in your hand, put one in it. We're going to be reading from God's Word this morning. We're going to be taking up where we have been. Should be a Bible there in front of you, in the pew in front of you. So take that and turn to Hebrews. Now, if you don't know where Hebrews is, ask someone next to you, because they're going to be able to tell you, right? We've been in this book for, for a while, folks, and here's, we found some incredible things. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's our great high priest. He's the one that intercedes for us right now as we're speaking, right here as we're in this auditorium. He's with Christ, the risen Lord, who intercedes for you and me, who died for our sins, is with God in heaven right now. And he, he sent us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to invade us, and to lead us and to guide us, and that's who we're going to talk about this morning. We've seen that all the way through Hebrews. We've seen there's nothing better. There is nothing else that can save you except Jesus Christ. There is only one God, and he's the one that we go to. We ended last time, we said, now we can approach him boldly. You were talking this morning in Sunday school. You and I have not just an access to God we have a bold access. We can come before him boldly with complete and total assurance, knowing that he hears us. You know what? We can do that. And he doesn't look at our sins anymore. You know why? Because Jesus took them away. So we have complete direct access through Jesus Christ to God Almighty. And the day is drawing near when Christ, the one who saved us, the one who, is, who sits at the right hand of God today, is going to come and take us home. Amen. Not going to be long, I don't think. You know, for me, I know at least it's not going to be more than 50 years because I don't really don't have that. Yeah, but he's coming back for all who believe and all who have received him, right? Uh, we can praise him for that. We know him and we can know for certain with assurance that he's our God. He's made us a promise. And let me tell you what, Jesus Christ, part of the, being part of the Godhead, that's a promise from God. He's coming back. There is a day of judgment that's coming. Uh, but you know what? There's too many people around us. We were talking about this week in an earlier Bible study, and earlier in the week. There's so many people that don't know him all around us. And that's the part that hurts me. I'm, you know, I'm kind of like Paul in Philippians 1, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm, so I'm kind of torn, you know. I want to be home with Jesus, just like many of you do. But there's so many people around here that don't know him, and he's put us right in the middle of their audience. For us to tell them about Jesus who saves eternally. You know what? It hurts my heart to think that there are people that we meet with that have not chosen Jesus, haven't given their lives to him totally, don't know what that's like, the joy that we have when he comes into our heart and lives in us. And you know what? If he comes back too soon or if he comes back real soon, I know a lot of people that aren't going to be in heaven that are going to be in hell. And here's the thing. They're going on and they continue to sin and they do it deliberately. Look at me. Look with me, if you will. In, in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 26 this morning. And I have to confess, uh, when I've, this was really going to be two sermons. <laughs> and I thought when I put it all together and they were both long, I thought, you know, we're not going to be getting out of here before the O's game starts. <laughs> And that's next month, you know, so it's okay. I did, I've knocked it down here this morning, but would you, I'm going to ask you, take notes this morning. If you want to know how you can have this assurance, you can walk in your life with this assurance boldly, 
You know, how do we do it? How do we live with it? Now we read about it. How do we do it? You're going to find the answer here this morning if you pay attention. It's right here in these words. Let's go to him in prayer first. Lord, your word that is so powerful. Lord, it has all the power of God in it right before our eyes. Sharper than any two-edged sword because it cuts through everything both ways, Lord. It is your truth that you've given us. Oh, Lord, may it just pierce our heart this morning, our whole being. Lord, teach us, show us you here. Lord, what you would have us to know so that we can serve you, the God that has saved us, the God that we love, and we fall down before this morning. Lord, we just want to leave everything outside of this room that we have preconceived and just let you be our God who molds us into what you would have us to be through your word this morning. Lord, we open our hearts to listen to you. Change us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beginning in verse 26. Here was the problem. Now, we've reached this point, and so it's really kind of strange, I think, that he put these words in here. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, and after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We've already learned that Jesus is our sacrifice. Whoa. But instead, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume his adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse the punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I can't think of any other words in the Bible that should strike fear into anybody who reads it than these. To fall into the hands of of an angry God. For if we go on sinning, though deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, I'm back up in 26, there no longer remains a sacrifice for the sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now let me tell you what that's not saying. That's not saying that Christ runs out of grace. There's always enough grace. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ and you've, you're depending on him, you place your faith in him and him only, then there's plenty of grace to take care of all the needs that you could possibly have. What it, this does is, is that if we continue to sin deliberately, then you know what we've done? We've moved away and we've rejected the offer that Jesus Christ has given. That's his life, an eternal life. If you've never done that, then you rejected his, his offer, then you continue and deliberately sin. I mean, you plan on it. That's a horrible thing to think about it, isn't it? If you really know Jesus Christ and you know his great work on the cross, how could you possibly reject it and returning to deliberate sin? Plan it. You know what that didn't mean, too, that we're not going to stumble. You know, I, I, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody here that didn't stumble this week? 
Yeah, okay. Huh, I did. I stumbled, but I didn't plan it. I didn't turn away from my word deliberately so that I could continue to sin. Big difference, isn't there? When someone descends deliberately, planning to sin with the full knowledge of Christ and his great work on the cross and what he's done for you, for you and me, then that means that that person has rejected his offer. I hope there's no one here that's rejected his offer. If you know it and you've examined it and you reject it, you know what that means? Let me tell you what the scripture says. It says that here's what you have in store. Now that you've looked at it and you know what the offer is and you rejected it, you're going to live in fear. You're going to live in fear of God and his judgment. That happens. So a lot of people decide, well, you know what? I'm just going to live in that fear, but I'm just going to ignore it. There's a day coming. You have to explain that fear. God has poured out his wrath on all the sin that you and I have ever had because Jesus Christ took it. He took it upon himself. God poured out his wrath and Jesus died with our sins. But you know what? He came to life again. He's resurrected by the power of God and our sins are still gone. But here's the problem. He made an offer that if you want to be a part of that, you have to receive his grace. You can't pay for it. Talked about that this morning too. No 50% coupons. <laughs> you know, you have to receive it, and it costs you nothing. It's cost him everything. That's why we call him Lord. I don't mind being a Lord for uh, calling him Lord if the Lord is willing to die for me forever and ever. Amen? And here's the thing, because that person has knowledge, his great work of grace, he's now going to live in that fear of judgment that we just read about, and you read all through the Bible, and you know that if you've examined Jesus Christ and his great work on the cross. And having rejected the person of Christ, you also reject his work, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that he sent. Listen to this. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? This is the only place in the New Testament that, that the Spirit of grace, that the Holy Spirit is talked with about the Spirit of grace. And what a beautiful title that is. Amen? Any amens in here this morning? You know, some of us were out late last night. We had, the men had a party. I want you to know. By the way, all the men uh, after church today, we're going to meet up here. Yeah, I mean that. If you, even if you weren't there last night, I want you to meet up here. Those of you who were with, with us last night, we're also going to have confession. I'm kidding. Not at all. The spirit of grace is the one that we've offended by rejecting the order. And when we go out and deliberately sin... If you know the Holy Spirit living in you, oh, he didn't give you any idea about continuing and planning out sin. If you go to him every day and you live with him, there's, there's no thoughts like that. You know what? He enlightens our minds. Yes? He enlightens our minds. You know, he gives us this, a whole new spiritual life. We were talking about that again this morning in Sunday school and several times this week in Bible study. It's a whole new life. It's a new life. You're dead to the old one. Now we have a new life. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us that. He's the spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit of grace. And you know what? 
He keeps on and keeps on and he never stops. He's always with us. Christ is with God. The Father is interceding for all of us who believe and accept his offer, his great offer. Let him in. You know what we said again this morning, we were sharing the gospel with someone. Jesus Christ, for those who have never come to him, never, never done that, there's still time. He hasn't come back yet. And let me tell you what, Revelation 3.23 tells us when he's talking to the, to the churches who are his representation, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Let him in. Let him in. It's amazing what happens. A whole life changes. Why would anyone deliberately, how could anybody look at Christ and his great work and deliberately reject him and deliberately continue sinning? Uh, It just doesn't work. Because you know what's going to happen? They know this. They're going to fall in the hands of an angry God. You know, one, one of the greatest sermons, I'd love for us to read that sometime. It has to be read. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards preached that a couple hundred years ago, and you know what? The great awakening happened on this, con- on this whole continent, and he took it from this scripture. How fearful, what a fearful thing it is to fall in the hands of an angry God if you're a sinner. But let me tell you what, that dreadful idea, that dreadful thought is met for you and me by the wonderful arms of Jesus Christ. You see, his hands were nailed to a cross. His arms are still open wide to embrace anybody. So instead of falling into the hands of of an angry God, come to Jesus, fall into his arms, and he never lets go. I would pray that for anybody here who doesn't know that. We're challenged every day to persevere in a world even knowing him. Anybody here not have any problems this week with the world trying to drag you in? You were in a coma if you didn't. You know, we slip and we stumble in it, don't we? And we still have the confidence and the encouragement, though, to persevere. Here's how. Now, you might want to, I don't know what you want to do with this one, but listen to this one carefully. We're not going to be able to work through it like I would want to this morning. Uh, We might be late for the O's game. But look, it says here in verse 32, There's a formula here, and I'm going to show you it's all the way through the Bible. For those of you who like to have a formula, something to pour this into, it's here. So I'm going to show you how you persevere. Look at this. Verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood by side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one, righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Kind of like we just read in Luke a while ago, isn't it? Be ready. It's coming. But we are not of those who shrink back. We have this confidence. We have this assurance. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. 
Amen. There's your confidence. You know, in this week's reading plan, there's a lot of people. As a matter of fact, I think the group's getting bigger every week. People who are reading through the Bible together. And if you haven't come on Wednesday night before, I encourage you to. Because if you're not a fast reader, or you're not, you, you, we'll be glad to discuss everything we read this week. And we also pray, so that's other things we do. But, but I want you to know, it's been great doing that, hasn't it? Through this reading plan. I love reading the comments. I'm not making any. I'm making mine here this morning, you guys, just so you know. Look, look, look here. In this week's plan of, of reading the Bible, the children of Israel, we're in Deuteronomy. The children of Israel had been led through the desert. You know the story. Forty years. You know, I, uh, and they're ready to enter God's promise. He had promised their ancestors centuries before that someday God says, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. That didn't mean anything to us now, but, you know, they didn't have milk out in the desert. They didn't have honey. They didn't even know what that. Here they are. It's going to be flowing with it. God has given this to you. And he also gives them the way about how to take care of it when they go into it. But he said, for the last 40 years, I've been testing you. Whoa. Did you know that? Listen to this. He said, here's another thing, too, you need to know. Moses wasn't going to lead them anymore. If you want to talk about that, that's a really interesting one. Moses wasn't allowed to go into the Holy Land. So God gave him the opportunity to give what we talked about this morning in Sunday school. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but a commencement address. Kind of like where they're going into the Holy Land. And, and, And he told them how to persevere in the promised land. How do you persevere? Once you're in there, you ever think about that? How are we going to persevere? Here's what he said. I'm going to read this. This is in, I didn't write down. It's in Deuteronomy 8. He says, remember, remember. Oh, we're supposed to remember. Let me tell you about the word remember. Anytime you read it in the text, it means relive in your mind. So remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you. What? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Huh. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Hmm. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commandments of the Lord your God, walking in the ways and revering them. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in in the valleys and the hills, all the, the food you can eat, everything you can grow. It, it goes through a whole list here. And then he says, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And then later on he says this, and when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. In other words, God did it because he loves you like a father. You know, these people, did you get all that though? They were in the, they, they ran out of food. And they said, they grumbled. But then they said, whoa, 
Then they went to the God, and he says, he gave them something that no one had ever seen before, manna. It was, you know, we don't know much about manna, but you know what manna means in Hebrew? What is this? Manna means what is it? You know, God says, it's me feeding you. God did that when they went to him. The ones who didn't go to him, every time in every one of these stories died without God. But everyone, when they came to him, even when they thought nothing could happen, they, remember with Mirabah? They, 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 they went and they said, they started grumbling, we don't have any water. And some of them were even about to die. And some of them did, I think. I have to go back and read that one. But, but, they, they, but then God says, what's with these people talking to Moses? So they're complaining. I'm the one who provides them all the water they need. He told Moses, you know what, go out, speak to that rock. And then I got to tell you, this was no ordinary rock. This is a rock of flint. You know, where I grew up back in Arkansas, we had a lot of flint rock, and I, there's no water in that stuff. Matter of fact, you take pieces of that and you rub it together and make sparks. So, you know, that's, that's not the... He went, he said, speak to this rock, this flint rock, and water gushed out to feed two million people. God supplied everything they need when they went to him. Isn't that interesting? Anybody here have problems? I'm going to ask that question again. You know, so what do we do? Do we complain about it? We blame it on someone else? You know, we're really good at saying, I confess, God, he did it. <laughs> you know, we're always finding something else, right? But the truth is, is that if we go to God, and as we sang a while ago, I love the hymn, this, what we sang here this morning. You know, we wait on the Lord. Sometimes we get tired of waiting, don't we? You know, I was thinking, here we are, we're serving the everlasting God, and we're tired of waiting on him. But he promises us he will provide all of our needs. All we have to do is wait on him. It's hard sometimes, doesn't it? But we do, we wait on him. Um, the encouragement from the Father God to his children continue, continuing on with him and persevering. There's two parts to this, and that's what I want you to know. So I, I pulled out this, this scripture that we read this week, comparing it to what the Hebrews passage we just read, because both of his points on how to persevere in here. You ready for this? The first one is remembering what God has done for you. Not what made you feel good, but what God has done for you in the past. You know what? If you're grumbling, if you have problems with what the Lord's doing right now in your life, it's because it may be his idea and not yours. But you remember what he's done in the past. Everybody here has a testimony that God has given them. If you come to Christ, he's given you a testimony because that's why you came to him, isn't it? And you saw him, what he did, he saved you. He's given you that testimony. Remember that because I don't know about you. Yeah, I do know about you. We were all in, in sin, living in sin and headed for hell. But praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. He's come in and he saved us from that. Remember that. When you think that there's nothing else, everything's wrong in your life, remember what Christ has done in your life already. And let me tell you what, if, if you can't say that, Christ hadn't done anything, hasn't saved you, it's because you haven't given yourself to him, do it. Don't wait. We keep talking about Christ coming back. You know, I joked a while ago. I, mean, I know it's going to be with going to be longer than fifty years for me. But the truth is, He could come back before we finish this sermon this morning. He comes back when He wants to, not when we want Him to. 
He gave us some signs to look for, and I can tell you this, all those signs are here. So it could be any time. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, I'll promise you. No, I don't have to promise you. God's word promises you that you will be saved. You place your faith in him and him only. He will take care of every need you'll have a hundred years from now and from then on. Amen? Yeah. So look at this, what it says here. Remember those earlier days back in verse 32? After you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, have you ever done that? Stood your ground? Let me tell you what, he blesses you in an incredible way. I give testimony to some of you about that some other time. But I can tell you, there's been times in my life when I had to stand firm, and it's incredible. I have seen miracles every day. Amen? I can at least get that from my wife. I have. And you know what? <laughs> yeah. She's, we're not going to talk about it. Don't worry, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 it's true. When you stand firm in the Lord and you build everything on his truth, not on argumenting, not on argument. You know, there was, were, I was one night we were, we were uh, I got in the dialogue with someone who had been reading the Passover plot. I don't know if you ever read that. It's a whole bunch of junk that was living back, written back in the 70s and 80s, and it's all proof that Jesus Christ didn't die. It's not based on facts. It's based on what they could find in their facts and their reasoning. Let me tell you what. If you know Jesus Christ, you know he's alive. He does. He lives right out loud, doesn't he? Right in the middle of your life. And that's what people need to see. Those books, you can throw them away. It's Jesus Christ, and we stand firm in him. And I stood firm with this guy, and he got into one of those circular arguments. You know, actually, that reasoning came from the Enlightenment period, the, higher, the period of higher learning about 200 years ago in the 19th century. And he was, it, it gets in a, if you ever get in an argument with one of those guys, this is off, the, off this little excursus here from the sermon. You get off in, a, in an argument with those guys, it's circular. They come right back to the starting point, and they get all axle-wrapped if you let them go in there. You know, they, they get all over, and then they just get frustrated and leave, and that's what happened. You got frustrated. So, well, I don't know. I, can't, I never thought about that. I can't think about that. I can't believe that. It's because he didn't have faith. He's never met Jesus Christ, and they have faith in him. This church that we're reading about, this, this Hebrew church, they had had some really interesting things happen, and it will explain a lot of the scripture. They were living, this was written... Uh, under the uh, Claudius was a Roman emperor. He's pretty mean. He wasn't nicest guy. You wouldn't want him for a next door neighbor. Um, he tells us that he, this whole thing, Claudius started persecuting him. the church, the Jewish church. Well, eventually, the Jewish church got kicked out. You know, they tore the temple down in seventy and all, seventy A.D. and all that. But it started with these guys because they had professed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so the Jews who didn't know says, "Nah." That can't be. And so they got in a fight within the church. Claudius comes along and says, you know what? If you guys don't stop fighting, you're both out of here. So they had gone through. And here's how they did it. They went in and they, they took their homes away from them. The Christian took their homes away from them. They took their money away from them. They took everything that they held dear in this world. All the while they're saying, nah, we have treasure somewhere else you don't know about. Uh, our home is in heaven. Is, it's with Christ. We know that because he lives here. We know him personally. It's a spiritual thing. You're not going to get it because it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual enlightenment. Look at this. 
I, I, I love doing this. Now, can I be a, get a little nerdy with you? You know, I read this thing in, in the Greek. I love doing that. I'm sorry I'm a nerd. I confess. Forgive me. Look, the word for contest here, you know, it talks about the contest that you've had. You know what the word, the Greek word for that is? Athlesis. That's where we get the word athletic. These guys were spiritual athletes. Pretty cool, huh? I got to tell you, you know, you can look around you and you like to think, do we have any athletes in here? We do. But you know what we have? We have a room full of spiritual athletes because we go to God's word every day. It's living. It's real, isn't it? We go to him and we, we listen to his word and we become spiritual athletes. But here's the thing. As an athlete, you have to be trained. You have to work out, right? Those are the tests that we get. So you know what? If you're being tested right now, go to Christ, your trainer. Read the manual. You know, you'll know how to work out and you know how to work through it. And this is, and, 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 the, and the writer of Hebrews helps them remember their athletic faith by recalling the details. He says, sometimes you were publicly exposed. Here's another thing. I love this Greek thing. I'm sorry, but I want you to know this. And it says publicly exposed. The word for that is where we get the word theater. So these people were publicly exposed. They were, I mean, they drug them out. They were exposed. They were humiliated in public. And you know what they did? They joined arms. And they were all humiliated together. If someone was, if you humiliate my brother, you humiliate me. Because we're together in Christ. Whoa, that's the kind of unity I pray for in our body here. I hope we can have that. Sorry. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and the, and. Uh, to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Wow. So i got to tell you, I'm going to make a really bold offer here. If you're being publicly humiliated because you're a Christian and because you're part of this church body, call me. I'll go stand with you. Anybody with me? Yeah, we're going to do that. I want us to do that together right here in this, in this area and wherever we are, at work or whatever. So we're all walking together, lock them. They know Jesus Christ lives and works through this church body. I want everybody to know that. And he is, he is, he's doing the work, by the way. Okay. And when one challenge, they took the challenge together as one. And listen to this. You sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possession. You know what? This wasn't a, like a, a march. You know, back in the 60s, we'd march together, right? I didn't do that. But they did. You know, they marched together and they protested together with their arms locked. This wasn't an imagined cause. And it wasn't a political cause. It was real. Because here's how, what, how I know it's real. They went to prison to visit the ones that were in prison. You didn't do that in Rome. You see, the way the Roman prison system worked is that if you got thrown in jail, the only way you were going to live is if somebody brought you food and water and also maybe piped in some cable TV and all that stuff. No, no. Food and water and clothes, they weren't going to give to you. They just chained them to a wall, and that was it. So when these people took food and water and everything, you know what they made? The list. Now the government's finding out who's a part of this whole thing. So they were standing together publicly uh, for Christ, weren't they? Not against the government, for Christ. I don't know. That's pretty bold assurance, isn't it? 
I think they were visiting Christ too, because you know what? Remember when Jesus in, in Matthew uh, 25, he said, you know, when, Lord, what have we done in these things to you? He told him a whole list of things that he, they'd done for him. Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Jesus is saying this. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Wow, there's the model. I think those people in that Hebrew church may have read this thing. What do you think? Sounds like it. And, and here's the thing. They also said in a, a 34, look at the last part of verse 34 in our Hebrews passage. It says, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possession. And Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yeah, that's what he said. I think they probably read that part too. Um, You know, they had a pretty amazing past to look back on, didn't they? That's what was going on in that little church. You know, think about what's going on in your life. Where God has come in and he's interceding through Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. He did some amazing things when you really think about it, didn't he? There's probably been a lot of events. Now, this is a hard thing you don't want to say in a lot of churches today. You don't remember, so you can remember the good old days. I can't wait till we get to sit around that potbelly stove. No, that's not what's going on here. You remember what God did. God did this. And who did he do it for? He did it for you. If you're in him, he's done this for you. Praise the Lord. Something you couldn't do yourself. He's done. He's performed a lot of miracles, hadn't he? Oh, folks. They didn't remember the good old days, so they go back and just kind of rest in them. Um, they didn't, they didn't, weren't trying to remember their own satisfaction. They were remembering the pleasure that the Lord had in taking care of his children. Uh, you know what? These people had started out well, and they wanted to, to end well, so here's how they do it. Don't throw away your confidence. Look down at verse 35. So don't throw away your confidence. The confidence that you have, he's already done it. You can look back on it and see it. Don't throw away your confidence. You will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Sounds like to me it ain't over. It ain't over till it's over, right? That great theologian, Yogi Berra. It ain't over till it's over. There will be more. There's more to come. So when we remember how we have stood with Christ in the past, in his strength, he's overcome. He's the overcomer, isn't he? He's a victor on all of that. We received his power and strength to overcome. His power. He gave us because we held firmly in our faith to him. You place your faith in him and you don't move. You stand firm. That's how we get the confidence to keep on keeping on, folks. Stand firm in him no matter what happens. You know, we've had some crises here lately in the church. We had to say, had to say to people, you know what? Even if you die, if your body dies, cling to Jesus. Don't let go of Jesus. 
That's where your confidence is. He's the one that saved you. He says, I'll never let go, don't you? Don't you ever let go. You cling to him no matter what. There's been times, and I know in a lot of people's lives, you think, I can't hang on anymore. Better. He's not letting go, so don't you. It's hard sometimes. It's really hard. It'd be a whole lot easier to let go sometimes, wouldn't it, except for what's pulling you. Don't let go. We keep, we keep our faith and we hold firmly. We never let go. You know, uh, here's the thing. A lot of people want to let go because they're tired. I, I got to tell you, I have, I have a friend's pastor. And back too many years ago, 50 years ago, he was a high school track star in Maryland. And he won a few races. And, and, and the record stood for four or five months. You know how that works. But he, he, he always wanted to run the 440. <clears throat> so he'd, he'd get in. He was really fast out of the blocks. He'd get out of the blocks and, and just a, you know, a few, few yards, maybe 10 or 20 yards, he's like one or two, 10 strides ahead of the rest of the pack. And his coach came to him one day and he said, you know, Steve, you may have just set the record, all-time record in the 220. And Steve said, but we're running the 440. There's the problem. <laughs> you get it? Sometimes we're so fast out of the block. We need to have this perseverance where we hang on. We continue to hang on and never let go. In his strength, not in ours. Ugh. My friend Steve, he started well, but he didn't finish well in that race. Today, he's a God-fearing man, preaching the gospel all the time. So he's endured in that race, hasn't he? He's never given up on his Lord and his Savior, I can tell you that. But what he needed back then was an aggressive endurance. Hmm, that's a strange term, I guess, isn't it? I didn't like it. I'm trying to think of another one. I mean, that means steadfastness, holding on. The same kind that's called for right here in this text. Um, we have our, he's promised us full salvation. In Jesus Christ, there's our confidence, and that's what we hold on to. That's a promise from God. You know, if I can't hold on to his promises, I, I can't hold on to anything. And he's proved his promises are true over and over and over and over again if you just remember what he's done in your life. So the key to our perseverance is faith. Faith that we are going to be talking about here in the next few weeks as we continue. And we finally got to Hebrews 11. Amen? Yeah, thank you. Ed says, yeah. <laughs> We're kind of, the writer of Hebrews quotes Habakkuk. Now, there's one you probably hadn't read lately. Habakkuk was one of the minor, what we call the minor prophets. But in, in Habakkuk 2, he, he, he says this. To prove his points, for this is a back. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. This back in Hebrews, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. You know, Habakkuk was a complainer. Um, you know, I, I've known a few of those. He was complaining. I always complained to God about, about the injustice in the world. And he wasn't even in a Miss America contest. I want to save the world. No, he said, there's so much injustice out there, God. How can you let this happen? God, how can you be the one who lets your people suffer? How can you do that? We already know the answer to that, don't we? We just read it. It's a test. 
Now we're responding to that, right? Okay. Your righteous people are suffering. So God says, live by faith, Habakkuk. Place your faith in me. That's the way you live. You live by faith. And he got it, and he lived by faith. Thank you, Habakkuk, for that testimony. In Habakkuk 3, he sang this song to God. He says, though, you have to understand they were an agrarian society, and we're back in the Old Testament. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Ah, his faith was in him to save him. I believe he was, don't you? Faith is everything. Paul quoted Habakkuk 2.4 in Romans 1.17 in, in, in his introduction to, uh, to uh, his argument about the law and faith. And he says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You know what? You don't need to remember that verse if you, if you never have. I know a lot of you have heard it. I see you shaking your heads. Yeah. You know what? Live by faith. I'm not living. Faith in what? Where are you going to deposit that faith? In your bank account? Maybe in your vehicle or in, or in the home that you have? Or All that's going away. So, you know what? I don't want to place my faith in something that's going away. God is not going away. He is forever. We just sing the everlasting God. Wow. That was, I was, my heart was, was singing. I, I don't know what my voice did. My ears are plugged up, so I hope it wasn't too bad. But you know what? My heart was singing. He's the everlasting God. We place our faith in him. We're saved forever in the God who loves us. Wow. That's where my faith is, and that's where I think all of our faith should be in that one. In this church that had placed their faith and they hung together through all of those things that the, that the world was taking away from them, God was saying, you have to continue in that faith. You have to persevere for this reason. Claudius, when Claudius wasn't emperor anymore, we got the next guy, Nero, and he was really taking the lives. He took some Christians and actually, reportedly, he soaked them in oil and put them on poles and lit them so he could light up the way road he walked down. He was an evil man. That was coming to this church. And God says, persevere. Place your faith in me. I'm here forever. Nero, not so long. Or anything that he's preaching or anything that he's teaching. Place your faith in God. Things that you haven't seen are going to happen. But God always is. And he's already got you covered. I have to place my faith in that kind of God. How about you? There is only one God that, that, that gives us that. He encouraged them to do two things. Remember the past. Respond in the present with confidence and a persevering faith. That's what we do. That's how we respond to everything that's around us right now. You know what? My faith is in God. I have no idea you know, what's going to happen next week or to anything someone's trying to take, trying to take my home. Okay. You know, I don't want them to, but I, you know what? I'm placing my faith in, in Christ and my God. Those two principles that we've talked about here, how we remember and how we respond, you know what? They're forever. They're not just for back in 49 AD. They're not just for, what, 200 years ago. They're not just for today. They're forever. That's how we respond all the time. Remember what God has done 
even though we didn't even ask him to. God has given us all the strength to persevere, and he will continue. That's where our faith needs to be, folks. You know, uh, another thing we're going to be reading this next week is, uh, is in Joshua. I think it's this next week, maybe the week after next. And Joshua starts this next Sunday, right? Yeah, okay. I'm going to give you a little preview of what's coming. You know, I didn't get this in Hollywood. I got it from God's word. So it's, I know it's right. I know it's true, right? Listen to this. Um, Israel's getting ready to cross the river. Moses has died. God has taken him home. And they're crossing the river. I think I love this picture. And Joshua, who placed all of his faith in God, and look what they did. It's incredible what, what that, that little army did. They took on people bigger than them, more powerful than them, more numbers than them, and, and, and militarily speaking, positions far above them. Better, and they beat them because they placed their faith in God. And Joshua even was going to go do it himself. Remember that? Getting ready to cross. And he gets over there. We're going to go take Jericho. And Joshua says, okay, I got my battle plan all worked out. And then God shows up with the captain of his army. And he said, and Joshua says, who are you? He said, I'm the captain of God's army. Follow me. And so instead of Joshua's plan, which was to go and kind of scream, I don't know what he was going to do. They went and they did the, the, the perfect plan, which he just, I'm sure he would have thought of it. They walked around the city for seven days blowing trumpets and the walls fell down. I'm sure Joshua would have come up that eventually, right? Uh-uh. When they crossed the Jordan, when they came over, that's another one. Ah, oh, we'll save that for another sermon, but read it. It's incredible. I mean, the, the, the Jordan River is at its peak, and nobody crosses the Jordan at its peak. It comes out of its banks. It just whips you away when you're not looking and all that stuff. So he's getting ready to cross the Jordan, and God stops the river for them to walk across. But look what Joshua did. They get out, they have the Ark of the Covenant. They're carrying the cross, and that's holding everything back. So they all, they all cross the, 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 the Jordan right there in front of it. But 12 men, one from each tribe, stops and they pick up a stone. And they pick up stones and they go and put them in a pile on the other side, just on the other side. And then they carry them with them to their, where their headquarters will be in Gilgal. And they, they make a pile of stones there to remember what had happened, what God had done for them. And then Joshua returns to Gilgal regularly to get his strength to remember what God had done. And Joshua fought all those battles and won. The ones he didn't participate in and didn't go to God first, they lost. Aye. But Joshua went back there for strength, remembering how powerful God had been in their lives and in their walk with the Lord. You know what? Joshua speaks a lot to me. I love that story. I shouldn't have told it about it. Told it. But when you read that, maybe you can read that to it and along with it. You know what? And then here's what they did. They put that pile there, and they put the pile up at Gilgal, and they went back and they looked at that and remembered, and they went back to Gilgal, and you know what they did? They had a party. Yeah, they had a party. They danced. They did all. I mean, these were dancers. Can you imagine? Anybody here? Anyway, I, I formerly was a Baptist, and someone asked me one time, they said, so are you, do you, you don't dance, do you? And I said, not well. <laughs> They danced. They danced before the Lord. They had a big party. But i got to believe, I, I, I do know, Joshua slipped out 
and went back to the original pile of stones to remember what God had done, and then he came back and he danced with them. That's in the scripture. You can read that too. have to read it a little close, but they, they did that. You know, I can only imagine what, what that celebration was like. People were, were rejoicing over 40 years in the desert. Finally, we're out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having gone through that? And they're celebrating because God kept his promise. And it was because of his power and his strength that they were not in the desert anymore. Whoa. And they were remembering that, that pile of rocks. God was with them and he was with Moses. And that's what they were celebrating because they were remembering. You know what? They were God's people, surely, weren't they? We need to remember how God has helped us in the past. I'm talking about each of us individually. How he's helped this church body in the past. God did it. You know, we don't need to get caught up in anything that we've done. God's done it. And you know what else he's done? He's put all of us here this morning. God's not surprised that anybody that's here this morning is here. God knows that. He's put us all together for a reason. You know what? I pray that we can remember as we continue to walk together, we're, we're starting to make an impact here. Mm-mm. God's starting to make an impact here. By your testimony, remembering what God has done and what he's doing in your faith and what he's going to continue to do is we work with him, join him in the work that he's already doing here. You know what? We can remember what's happened in the past, what God has done, but we need to respond in the present. Be confident. Persevere with faith that God is going to give us all the strength and everything we need. You know, look back in faith. Look up in faith. My righteous ones, God says, will live by faith. That's us, I pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, we praise you this morning. Lord, for what, who you are, what you've done. Lord, we can do nothing but just fall down before you, praising you in your love that you've, you've given us, praising you, Lord, for the power that we've seen because you've actually given it to us, the same power that created the world, the, the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from, from the dead so that we can live with him. Lord, your power you've given us and made available to us because we have direct access to you through our Savior, Jesus Christ. But Lord, we want to be vessels of your word. And by faith, Lord, we come to you and ask you, Lord, show us, teach us, show us, Lord, or you would have us to be doing your work with your power and with your grace. Lord, we leave that with you. And I pray you would be with each and every person here this morning as we pray that prayer individually and together. Because, Lord, it's all for you and for your glory. For your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray to you and we rest in that. Amen. Amen. You know, I hope the Lord's moving in your heart and through his word. And uh, he's moving in your, in, your, in your heart right now, something you want to share, any kind of testimony, anything you want to share here. This is a time of response. So come and share with us, or right there in your chair, share with the Lord how he's moving and how you praise him and how you thank him. Let's stand together and sing the song, The Potter's Hand. Will you place your life in the potter's hand? Jesus Christ is the potter. He's the one that's making you into what he wants you to be.